Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I'm Seth Payne. I played in the NFL for a few years. I'm joined by my... I, I almost said sometimes co-host, but he's turning into a pretty regular affair. Drew Hodgden played in the NFL for a few years as well. He was a center. I was a nose tackle. We used to do battle during training camp and whatnot. Um, is, is that a fair way to put it, Drew? Yeah, it, it started out as doing battle, and then it just turned into pretending to do battle while we actually just maintained a friendship. <laughs> you got to work on your stuff. Well, it's, yeah. uh, it's training camp, which means it's time for hard knocks. And I'm on a sometimes on again off again love affair with hard knocks i think in any given year i'll watch the first episode and i'll figure out whether i'm going to watch it again so we both watched the the dallas cowboys version of hard knocks this year 2021 are you are you going to watch it again will we be will we be talking about it again i think you yeah you summed up your your view of hard knocks is mine as well that's the exact same sentiment it's it's sort of a because it's it's a it's a piece of content that's designed for people who obviously haven't played very often have not played football at all. So Mm -hmm. it's trying to be accessible, I think to general fans and it's trying to make it a little more salacious, I think, than maybe sometimes it's always intended to be. It's just kind of overly produced for me anyway, as a former player. The overly yeah. produced part. And that's where I get, I, I feel yeah. that I'm like this with all reality television. You start looking for the parts where you're, where you say, Oh, okay. The producers had them do that. Like, like Zeke Elliott wrapping a present for Dak Prescott. Yeah. And, right. and like the HBO producers aren't even disguising it. It's like, Oh yeah, this is actually the first time I've ever wrapped a present. This is the first time I've ever exchanged presents with Dak Prescott. And by the way, Dak Prescott shows up in the middle of me wrapping the present. Oh, okay. So like every, every yeah. aspect of this was, was produced. It, it's hard to enjoy like that part. They, they try to make training camp look a lot more interesting, I guess, than it actually is. They do. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the thing that I appreciated and I obviously am uh, very biased just based on my own, you know, standing when I was playing and I guess yours to some extent, you know, not that, I mean, you had a really long career, but it's not like you were, you know, a top 10 pick or a quarterback or anything like that. So I appreciated they they did spend a lot of time. I felt like in past years focusing on sort of the blue collar kind of middle of the road guys who were on the cusp. And I thought that's like, there's a lot of interesting storylines there. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'm going to go back to be watching this season. It, other it than feels fact- like this, this is going to be all about star yeah. power and ratings. And I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at, I, I guess the most nondescript player that had any serious screen time would be Micah Parsons, who who was their first round draft pick. So right. it's, not, <laughs> right. like, it's exactly. not like he's a nobody. It's just no. not as many people know him as Jerry, Jerry Jones, uh, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott. I mean, those were the three main guys. And Mike McCarthy, I suppose. Well, it is. And, and I mean, I think, doesn't that like speak to what the value prop is as a franchise for the Cowboys? Like the Cowboys are much more invested in creating a dramatic reality show of a team than they are generally in putting out a good product on the field. I mean, right. whether that's, whether that's intentionally or not, that's, that's what, what I like. found fascinating about this though. And I think I might, I'm probably going to end up watching all of these it, it, because you could see, when Jerry Jones was talking to the head athletic trainer about Dak Prescott's injury, it it seemed like Jerry was just trying to find any angle where Dak could still be out there throwing footballs. <laughs> like Dak Prescott's yeah. got a shoulder shoulder injury. They're con- they're trying like hell to convince Dak Prescott that he needs to take it easy. Hasn't played football in a, in a year, and and he's not supposed to throw at all. And Jerry Jones is on the phone with the head athletic trainer saying, well, could he, could he throw it short at least? And you know, he's just thinking, yeah, we, we got, we got 10,000 fans out there at Oxnard. We gotta, we gotta show them something. Yeah. It it, it was, I mean, it's, he's beyond detached at this point. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. The bubble that that guy lives in, but I was surprised for as cynical as I go into watching these shows that I was invested in Dak Prescott. I mean, I, I was interested in what was going on with him. I wanted to see how he came back, not just from the injury, but the, you know, the stuff that was going on in his own personal life and his brother passing and, and the drama that is the Dallas Cowboys inherently. I wanted to see it. Well, you know, it was interesting to set the scene. They start off with Dak Prescott and I'd kind of forgotten the timeline too. It was last summer his his brother uh, died by suicide and then Dak goes on, gets injured early in the year with a really gruesome ankle injury. And, um, you know, obviously he ends up out for the year after that. And they show the injury, which I was a little peeved at. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect in the first 90 seconds of the show to see the injury three different times. Right. Yeah, um, Sam. But yeah, yeah and-, and then you see him... You see him during the first few days of practice. You can tell he wants to get back out there. They're trying to limit him. They're using this GPS data that all the teams use now to show that he's exerting himself too much. And he's like, he's seething about the fact that he can't be out there. And the one thing that actually surprised me a little bit was he was, he was actually super sensitive about anybody teasing him about not being out there. Like he need, he needed to make it, make his point that no, like, no, I want to be out there. They're not letting me be out there. The backup quarterback messed with him a little bit. And I, and I felt bad for that kid because I feel like he'll probably get cut within a two weeks because because uh, Dak didn't like being teased by the backup quarterback. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely going to have him killed in the next <laughs> you know, couple games. Like it, it was it was interesting. I thought I, I was invested in not just his whole energy and how much he wanted to be out there. I found myself a little surprised, even at a guy like Zeke Elliott, who I'm not generally a fan of. You know, overall, just as a guy, I don't think I'd want to be on a team. I'd struggle with guys like that. Yeah. Even though he's obviously a premier talent, but I was still totally invested in just how much those guys seemed like they really wanted to play. They wanted to be out there. I mean, even Parsons wanted to be out there the entire preseason game. He wanted to be out there performing. And it was, that was 
I was, I, I, it surprised me how invested in that I was. I like okay. seeing that. So let's start with Micah Parsons. We'll go over the main characters here a little bit. Micah Parsons, their pick out of Penn State, is a young guy who came on from his redshirt freshman year to his sophomore year, really poured it on. And he's just, I mean, you can tell just from the first few clips you see in Hard Knocks. And, that, you know, I remember learning about him during the draft and everything. But man, this kid, it, he doesn't move like a linebacker. No. He looks like a safety out there, like in a good one at that. So, um, and he's just, he's kind of innocent in a way. He just wants to go out and play football and, and, and eat food. Those are like, those are his two main joys in life. That was uh, seemingly what you'd get from this episode. He's hungry all the time, literally and metaphorically. And he just wants to play football because the, he gets really upset when the defensive coordinator uh, pulls, pulls him early in the game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, theme of that episode i felt like was uh ignorance is bliss like jerry jones brought it up he just said oh no you have to just lie to yourself basically just lie people, to yourself and tell people yourself call me naive people yeah. call me naive you know and he that sounds a little ridiculous but it's so true i mean it's true if you're gonna make it in something that is such a long shot like professional sports and that's that's what that kid has right there, which totally is an asset, especially early on. It is an asset. I mean, he's not thinking about it. He's just going. He doesn't yeah. really care. He's not probably preoccupied with the fact that he's in Dallas of all places and he's just performing. Well, they're out there in Oxnard, California, and I've never been quite able to figure out what that place is because they they're living in dorms, <laughs> but it looks like it's also up next to a housing development. And right. there's, at the end, they show there's like an old lady standing up in her window in her house watching over the practice field. It's a strange setting. It looks nice, beautiful. There's mountains all over the place, but it's a little bit of a strange setting. It is really weird. I think it's got to be like at one of the UCs out there that they're staying at. I would think they're like training at one of those because there's like one every two miles, you know. That That's right. You're country. a California guy. You know about the I am, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Michael Parsons, extremely athletic. Uh, I think like he's the jackknife. I get... I get sometimes skeptical of these guys who are so incredibly athletic, but you never quite know exactly how good they are at football. You know, mm -hmm. Penn State even looked, he looked raw, like he'd overrun plays. He didn't always take the best angles, but he was just so athletic. The guy that I always think of is Deion Jordan. I don't know if you remember him. He got drafted to the, the Dolphins out of Oregon. And mm -hmm. it was always... The scouting report was like, he can line up anywhere on the field. He can play slot corner. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah, but he's not going to do it well. But there's right. something about that versatility that people get super excited about. So I like I like this kid. He seems to genuinely enjoy, enjoy playing football. I just hope they, I hope they give him the chance to just actually specialize in something at first. You know, like give him one role, let him get good at that. I remember, I, I don't know if you remember this, but Mario Williams – was the same type of freak athlete, a bigger type of freak athlete. But they tried that with him his rookie year. They're like, oh, wow, we can play him down at defensive tackle. Mm -hmm. He can play left end. He can play right end. And after a while, they realized, oh, wait a second. Let's just let's let him settle in at right end and learn how to yeah. do that before we start flooding him with all these other responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just put the guy in a position to be successful and just let him dominate against other people that really can't stand up to that kind of athleticism. Mike McCarthy, I'm going to tell you, Honestly, I was a little bit disappointed because I'd heard a lot of chatter just on ESPN shows or on social media, a lot of debate about people talking about Mike McCarthy and whether they should be body shaming him or not and talking about how fat he looks. 
I was a little disappointed because frankly, like I, if anything, I think he might've slimmed down a little bit. He'd gotten, he'd gotten pretty sloppy and bad last year. He's got a beard now, which makes him a little bit like uh, he looks a little bit like rip from Yellowstone. Uh, so I think he's, he's a little bit sexier maybe than he was last year back when he used to, he's, he's got a face that probably needs to be cloaked a little bit with a, yeah. with a beard. And uh, so I was, uh, I was, I was, I was a little bit of, um, I don't know, disappointed that he wasn't like, oh, like just gigantic the way he'd been portrayed on television. Like morbidly COVID obese. Yeah, well, I think Skip Bayless got into it with his co-host. I forget her name, the moderator there, um, because she didn't like that, that Skip Bayless was body shaming Mike McCarthy. And I thought that, you know, whatever body shaming people are doing of Mike McCarthy at this moment is probably pretty run-of-the-mill football body shaming. Like, he's going to make some... You, when, you're, when you're that chubby as a coach around a football team, you make fun of yourself as much as anybody else makes fun of you. Yeah, I mean, I would hope that you do. Otherwise, like, you're, you're going to be in for it. It's pretty hard to shame others when you're not at least, like, you know, def- defaming yourself to some extent. I, it's weird because to pick him of all people, like, he's he was pretty grotesque. For a minute there but yeah. he's not as on the scale of disgusting nfl coaches he's not really like in the top 10 he's not so it's like kind of funny they picked him andy reed at his worst or uh either of the ryan brothers rex or rob ryan at their worst like those guys are big right offensive line coach from cleveland like those are those are genuinely rotund people like they're they're spherical almost where McCarthy just looks like an offensive lineman that maybe let himself go a little bit. Yeah. He doesn't need like an extender when he gets on a plane, you know, some of those other guys, like they're, they're, they're in a, they're in a, a bad spot. And also it's kind of weird because like with, we used to fat shame each other all the time. I mean, you yeah. shame each other for everything. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not so bad. I mean, I am disappointed. I also think like the, the beard trend has done a lot of guys favors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that trend has really worked out nicely for traditionally unattractive dudes. It's, as I say here, you know, speaking to you with about two weeks of growth, I, I have to agree. And if there's yeah. nothing I've learned in life, it's like when I want to get in shape for the season, like now that I do broadcasting, I do two things. I stop lifting weights because then mm-hmm. I fit in my suits, whether I lose fat or not. And I grow a little bit of a scruff because then, you know, if you get caught in any weird camera angle, it, it disguises, it cloaks you. Yeah, I was, it's a, not a visual medium, but I was going to say, I, I was trying to understand why you look so good today. And I guess <laughs> that was it. Oh, you've hidden more of your face, I see. <laughs> You're covering more of yourself up and I like it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to come on next week wearing a burqa. <laughs> like, yeah, something yeah. about you. You got this mysterious quality stuff. Yeah, forbidden so political quality. Yeah, yeah it's like so mysterious. I can't figure it out. McCarthy made a really good point, and one thing that brought me back to training camp and gave me some like first person memories of it was the first day they were in pads. He was remarking to, I think it was Fossil, the offensive coordinator that that oh wow it really is quiet on the first day of, of pads everybody's everybody's focused everybody's the rookies are all a little bit nervous usually the rookies are talking too much on a day-to-day basis and then on the first day of pads all of a sudden they're not so they're not so cocky and bold and brash they get a little bit they get a little bit serious mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 absolutely true there's nothing like it i mean especially because no one really wants to be the one to it's it's I I always felt like it was you're waiting for the other guy to be the one to dial it up, yeah. And so you don't really want to necessarily make yourself look terrible trying um, to go all in. 
That is a good point because one of the, th- the hard things about transitioning to the NFL is learning how to practice properly, mm-hmm. like go hard, but without going to the ground and everything where you know, in college, you're beating up on the scout team so much of the time that you get to kind of be a Bluto and just bully people right. where the NFL, it's like, yeah, you got to go hard, but if you go too hard, you're genuinely going to like, you're going to piss off the coaches. It's not just like you're right. going to piss off the old veteran or something. It's just, so you got to really learn how to play hard, but with balance and everything. I, I forgot about that. And that is a little bit stressful. Like, oh, that's just... the biggest transition is because you're you're faced with a prospect of trying to understand that you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt and you're not going to get the kudos for going so hard or so aggressively. You're actually going to get yelled at. Yeah. And that's yeah. a different that's a different speed. I mean, it's you know, whereas you can make mistakes, but you can be going full speed when you're at the college level and you're still usually going to kind of get like, you know, a gold star from someone and that is not a thing in the NFL. I remember Gary Walker and I both got in a fight with this one young player this one young offensive lineman one day like when we were just sick of this kid because he'd been you know is he would charge out with his head down and do all this stuff that you can get away with when guys are trying to stay on their feet so like mm-hmm. an offensive lineman does that to you in the game I'm dumping him on his face and I'm, you know, making a play, but you're trying to practice carefully and not, not go to the ground and everything. And this guy's like holding you after you beat him, like doing all this stuff. So Gary Walker and I both got in fights with him. And, and it was funny because Coughlin called us all into his office and that's exactly what happened. Coughlin ends up yelling at this guy for basically right. going too hard, but it's going, it's going too hard in a way where you're, you're like, you're trying to get accolades or draw attention for doing stuff that you couldn't get away with doing in a game. So right. it's really, it's, it's like cheating almost. And that's what really pisses off defensive linemen. Likewise, offensive linemen can do it. If, it. if a guy's like bull rushing and no pads or something, if a defensive player is bull rushing and no pads, then all of a sudden the offensive lineman looks like a tool <laughs> because he wasn't like ready for a bull rush. Well, for sure, your first year, you're still in that unconsciously incompetent phase, especially the line play. And I don't think it shows up nearly as much, in my opinion, when they're doing, you know, seven on seven and you have the skill guys going because running routes is running routes to some extent. They're not going to do maybe there's slightly more or less hand fighting or stuff, you know, when they're playing press. But otherwise, it's really in the box where you haven't quite figured out where the fits are, how that works. And so especially the offensive line, but you don't really know what the defensive linemen can or can't do in a game until way later and it's all that hand fighting stuff and then yeah. you're realizing if this guy wanted to dump me he probably could have yeah <laughs> that's I, true like because you're still using the old habits and the stuff you got yeah. away with because you used to be able to just maul people in college yeah. and then all of a sudden it's it's like going from fighting nothing but it, it's like it's like if you went from fighting just like backyard brawler types like fist fights in your neighborhoods to all of a sudden fighting a, an MMA champion who's a good striker or something <laughs> like you're just going to get you're going to get tapped three times in the face before you even know what happened and that right. is like a lot of the really good offensive linemen when all of a sudden they really dial it up and know exactly what you want to do and everything they just they take your hands away from you they make it absolutely useless I agree <laughs> I could have, I could have kept going with more anecdotes, but no, 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 there was something, there was actually something else that I forgot about as I was, uh, as I was rambling on talking about that. Um, cause gosh, I remember, yeah, whatever. Um, so 
the one thing that is, I'm watching this episode, you and I had talked about something a couple weeks ago, and it, and it sparked my brain, sparked in my brain, and it was as I was watching Micah Parsons and thinking, okay, like how, how just how versatile are they going to try to make this guy be? And is it going to be that kind of a theme this year for the, the Cowboys where they're, oh, everybody's versatile, everybody's doing anything? And, and you thought that that spoke to something like a larger trend in society where there's, there's just, it doesn't seem like there's as much of a demand for actual experts as there used to be. Yes, I agree with that. We're, we're tying in the lack of specialization from Micah Barca in, in, into the entirety of, of American culture right now. Yes. Like, yes. The like Cowboys, like uh, just as the Cowboys are indicative of a lot of ills in society uh this is one of them the cowboys are uh, a they care too much about their social media clicks and yes. B, they're they're trying to kill experts they don't want any experts anymore they just want a bunch of generalists out there well it, yeah it's the it's the double-edged sword because it's the same thing especially you know more broadly when you're getting into like sports analysis or anything else it's great that it becomes so accessible that so many people can have an opinion and understand it. They can become more relatable. And they can also, I think you've seen how the veil has been pulled back. One of the things that was so, was it was a complete aha uh, disillusioning moment for me. And I don't know if you had this experience in Houston, but I did when I got there, is that I couldn't believe how unsophisticated our offense was and how the mm -hmm. entire process was. I mean, it was far less complicated, way less sophisticated than my college scheme. Really, was it? Oh yeah. And, and, and granted, you know, Dirk Cutter was my coach in college and he ended up, you know, developing a reputation for being a bit of a savant kind of yeah. coordinator guy, but still, you know, and so I think people would be kind of shocked to realize that like, it's really just, it, it's not that complicated in a lot of ways. Um, and then in others, depending on where you are, it is far more technical, far more difficult to master and all those things in other ways. It's just sort of a, it's a confusing foray into both of those things. Um, and it's the same thing when you're trying to explain football to people who maybe aren't overly familiar or other coaches, it's just not that complicated sometimes to do the things that can make a team good. Yeah. And then on the other end, it, it takes decades to master. And it's the same thing to do to be really proficient at something, whether you're a broadcaster or an analyst or whatever it is. So all these things, you know, it's hard to fight, strike that balance between. Oh, them. yeah. And it drives me insane when people try to minimize the mastery level. You know, even I'm if like, it is a, that, that sometimes people talk about a simple offense or a simple defense and they do a disservice to how much complexity there is within the simplicity. Like, exactly. you know what? You yeah. sent me that gif of Tim Tebow trying to wham block that defensive lineman. And I mean, he act, I mean, he got in the guy's way, I suppose. But the, the defensive lineman, without getting too technical, the defensive lineman did what he was supposed to do in that play. He's supposed to wrong arm. He's supposed to he's supposed to basically bounce the play to the outside. And Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow is coming across the formation as a tight end slash H black, whatever he's doing there. And he's either supposed to try to blow that guy up or at least seal him. Tim Tebow just kind of limply runs into him and twirls to the ground and gets up and hits one of his own guys. It was, it was like a, it was one of the biggest limp 
penis moments I've seen out of a guy trying to block yeah. somebody in the NFL. It was a really it, bad look for Tim Tebow. It's hilarious. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's both completely unfair to judge anybody by one play like that. Right, right. Throw them under the bus, right? I mean, it's, yeah. I wouldn't want my most embarrassing play to be the thing that I, I would be judged on either. Right? Tebow might have been awesome the rest of the game. But in that moment, it's that right there, like that actual block and how to react to it, both as a defensive player and an offensive player, is one of those moments where it's incredibly simple, and yet it happens at closing speed. Both guys are, are moving full speed a lot of the times, and there's a whole lot of nuance to it. Like the defensive lineman, yeah. the defensive lineman has to figure out whether Tebow's trying to kick him out or log block him, you know, seal him in. Likewise, Tim Tebow's got to figure out what's happening with the defensive end. And that's, that's precisely one of those moments where it seems simple. And especially like when I watch a lot of people sometimes analyze film and, and, you know, ask like, well, how could this defensive end not read this option play? Because it's fucking fast and it's happening really, really. <laughs> it's by yeah. really large humans who are trying to physically maim you. Like, that's why it's fast. And there's a difference between watching it on film from above and seeing it at field level. So it's just, so those little simple things, sometimes a game can hinge on just how, if a guy is making a decision in three milliseconds versus eight milliseconds, it's, it's well, just that hard. Yeah. And all those things are never happening in a vacuum. They're not happening in the 13 second clip that you're watching. Yeah. They're happening within the context of the entire game and the information that that player is holding onto from the previous 20 plays. So they're trying to anticipate based on a handful of other things that are happening leading up to that moment. And so you're not seeing, hey, here comes what's probably going to be this just in that one play. You're seeing the outcome of all the things he was considering before that play happened and how they're reacting to it. So it's completely I mean, a lot of the highlights that you see, maybe they've gotten better over the years, but especially, you know, the, on like the offense defensive line, a lot of those plays where you see like an O lineman just getting like completely smoked or a D lineman getting thrown out of the bar. It's 90% of the time. It's because he took the exact wrong step yeah. at the exact wrong time. And he just got completely off balance. And that's how that happens. It's not because he's literally picking the guy up and throwing him up. Like that just, almost never is a thing anyway. yeah it's uh there's no and it happens to everybody too like there are no virgins like including tim tebow who now is <laughs> both literally yeah. and figuratively not a virgin i would assume he's been married a few years he probably got over his bashfulness and they've, they've done it by now um yeah he's acknowledged that he has to yeah. <laughs> like i guess it's in the bible i, I guess, guess i gotta do this i guess i have I to do this. this um he uh like in that play, you can see him thinking about it. And it is, it's really, it's one of the hardest, it can be one of the hardest blocks for uh, a tight end or a fullback to make. But that also goes to show that, look, making the transition from quarterback to tight end is, or tight or quarterback to fullback, like it's not as simple as, hey, this guy's pretty athletic. He'll probably be pretty good at it. It might as well be a basketball player making the transition to football, you know, like, and guys do do that. They do it successfully. It's just, there's way more to it than just being able to run and throw and catch. Yeah, uh, so much so that it almost seems like he shouldn't be able to do it at all yeah. or be there. 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I've come around on that. Like Urban Meyer, yeah, Urban Meyer yeah. is doing something with that camp where like he preaches competition, and a lot of coaches do and say that, but he actually like follows through on it. They they keep track of every drill. There's scorecards up there. They announce the winners in one-on-one special teams drills. Like all this stuff that's actually pretty cool. And I I asked Bradley Roby about it. I was like, hey, do you think Urban Meyer is going to change it all for? For because um, he played for him in college, he's going to change it all for for pro guys coaching men versus coaching boys. So no, 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 he's not, he's he is who he is, and it's worked really well for him. And he's just going to be right. him. And I think they probably have that type of team in Jacksonville right now, where you know, like, okay, who are the stud prima donnas and for the Jaguars that are going to bristle against being coached hard by Urban Meyer? They're, they're, they're aren't, they aren't there. It's going to be. I mean, that that whole element of the cultural shift in bringing his mode from college to the NFL is going to be super interesting. I mean, I can't wait to see how that case study pans out specific to Tebow. If they were allowed to have 150 guys on, on a roster and just let it shake out that way. And you have the full, then I would be totally on board with it. The only issue that I have with it, and this is maybe an insider's view, I guess, is that I struggle knowing that somewhere there was a guy in a college roster who was a skilled tight end, who absolutely was good enough to play should have had a spot somewhere. And instead, Tim Tebow is getting that spot oh. who already had his opportunity to play in the NFL and did, and we know what he can do. And that's the end of that. Like, that's where I'm just like, I don't see how that's at all. It's, it, it's football should be a meritocracy in my view. And so when and that's where the, well, like, the, the myth of the myth of Tebow never quitting and all that is that's got that's full of holes too. Like he could have gone and played in Canada and taken a chance there or something, or tried one of those other leagues. He right. He, he tried to play baseball, which is fine. I mean, Russell, look, Russell yeah. Wilson's a failed baseball player. Um, you know, who decided to play yeah. football. It's not. It's not like it's the worst thing in the world. It's just that uh, it, it, the the myth the myth building around him gets annoying at times. The, um, oh, yes, at times, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, you know what I would say? I would agree with you about taking up a roster spot. Like, okay, look, they're taking up the roster spot of a guy who wouldn't have made the team anyway, most likely, but at least the guy would have had a chance. The Texans have a guy right like that right now, and it, like Jeff Driscoll, who's the second-slash-third-string quarterback, who's just been absolutely atrocious every single day. I've been out at every practice except for one, and he's just been horrendous. Like, throws yeah. some of the most god-awful picks you've ever seen. And he's still out there. And the only thing I can figure is that the new character coach who's buddies with Jack Easterby, uh, the the mysterious figure at the top of the Texans, mm-hmm. uh, was in Detroit at the same time Jeff Driscoll was, and that maybe there's a little bit of the old uh, – the old uh, the the fellowship going on there because but it doesn't make any sense like if he's it's going to drive me insane if this guy's still on the roster if the Texans keep three quarterbacks and one of them is Jeff Driscoll it's absolutely unforgivable I've never seen <laughs> I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a person have as bad a camp as Jeff Driscoll is having including guys oh that definitely shouldn't be in the NFL at all it's really <laughs> weird it's really really weird it is maddening especially in the dynamic where there's a guy who theoretically doesn't ever need to be there at all yeah. in, a, in a third string quarterback. No, it's just exactly. not a guy made there. If he's there, then it's either because he's a veteran QB who, you know, back like when we had Jeff Garcia or somebody on the team who's a veteran right. QB that is way past his prime, but man, if you need him to go in for two games, he knows what the hell he's doing. 
or it's got to be a young guy with upside. And right. this guy's got none of those. But, Have uh, you considered we, how motivational he is and the kind of other uh, intangibles that he's bringing to the table? Maybe bringing culture to the table. That's right. Yeah, That's exactly. exactly. Right. It brings a lot of culture. All right. In terms of specialization, you've made the suggestion that you never listen to podcasts that are more than a half hour long. And uh, we've, we've tried to keep these to a half hour and, and been successful, I think, once. I think today's the day where we're going to stop. We're going to stop right now. Goodbye, Drew. Good job. Look at that. We did it. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 